In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call, we this, call dilemma this dilemma the Verhoeven, the Verhoeven effect. effect. Hello and welcome to the Verhoeven Effect. I'm Conlon. And I'm Nathan. So once again, we are looking at network television, which me and Nathan typically don't watch at all or pay attention to. We're watching three shows concurrently, one episode at a time, as you would if you were an elderly person watching weekly shows. <laughs> and you need to... Yeah, I bet these shows are big everywhere. Yeah, they. Are. I mean, there's, there's a. As I watch them, there is a charm to them. Well, I remember when like Da Vinci's Inquest came over here from Canada, and it was just like, like seven seasons or how many shows they had, and I was like started watching that, and it's like that show is not. It's only interesting because it's like here's Canada police work, but yeah. it's like it's not any better or worse than Law and Order. It's just Canada's like Law and Order. <laughs> Yeah, and when they go to court, their judges just kind of wear the same same things they do in England, like the yeah. robes and the little wigs, and they call the government the crown, and that's you know it's like oh okay. And but da Vinci's Inquest is a is a cool name for a show, and yeah, but it's just like a guy named Da Vinci who's like a like a forensic pathologist. He's like a coroner. I think that's what happened in that show. <laughs> yeah, I've only seen a few episodes. Uh, I remember one like the the main guy. Or not the main. He was one of the cops, and, and uh, who did a beat, and he, like, he got addicted to like heroin for like a season. He wasn't a cop anymore. He's just a homeless guy. It's like, oh, this took a turn. It's <laughs> not the way I saw it going. <laughs> and so yeah, they have uh, some. Uh, I remember when I was telling you about like the the British Law and Order. Yeah. Where it was because it, it had half the cast of Battlestar Galactica, the British <laughs> version of it, which nobody knew were British. And, uh, and he like Jamie Bamber was the lead or was DCI something, you know, they have different names yeah, for yeah. over there. And almost every case was solved by the fact that the UK is covered in cameras. You know, the UK is like the face of one of those robots from the Matrix. It's like there's just cameras <laughs> pointing at you everywhere. It's, and it was uh, in- interesting. It was a law and order format. It was a one and done episodic TV. It's just it was in the UK. But. Like so much of it hinged on their CCTV and stuff. It's like, well, are they going to do this every episode? Uh, and they did, and it's like I think it only lasted one season. But, <laughs> but they had, yeah, they had the cops, and then they had the legal stuff, and and their legal stuff was it's, it's like similar to ours, but weird too. Because yeah. like, let's put Latin in this. It's like, huh? What are we doing? Yeah, well, it's like, I mean, their law system is probably older than America, so probably a lot of traditions they adhere to. But then they had, like, incredibly light sentences for, like, children that committed murder. Like, that seemed to (laughs) pop up. Like, "Hmm, okay. Yeah, two years in uh, the state something psychiatric thing because he has an antisocial genetic pattern. Like, huh? That, That was the defense. And these were poor kids. This was the state defending them, saying this stuff. Like, okay, that's interesting. But you never followed up. It was just always episode, episode, episode. <laughs> oh, okay. 
Yeah, I think there was an sh- interesting show on Netflix, which I never watched, but it was like, that's an interesting idea. I've never had spent time to watch all this. I think it was a show that was called uh, Interrogation or something like that, where it was like, it was essentially the same format, but is the but different stories, the same exact set, but told in like four different languages. Oh, okay. So you have like an English version, a, a French version, a German version, and a Spanish language version, but they all have the same set, but they all have different stories. I like watching the serial police uh, shows on Netflix from Poland. Because <laughs> Polish police procedurals is like it's like new or it's like American cop shows from the seventies. <laughs> like it's not it, everything's gritty. Their criminals are horrible, and I guess what you show on Polish TV is like it's worse than HBO. It's like yeah, who? Why did they pull the intestines out of this horse on camera? Like what? Oh, it's because he's a bad guy, and it's like oh, this is a weird kind of drama. And then you mix in a lot of like. I don't know, it's like Slavic, uh, like cultural, like paranoia about anything you can, whether it's demons in the woods or, you know, it was was always something weird, but all these cops seem to know exactly like, oh, that's what this is. It's like, how would you know that? (laughs) But, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like the French connection, like a lot of their shows, the ones that aren't supernatural or don't just kind of dip into that. It's such gritty crime, but this is set in like 2020 and it's like, and all these cities look like this and half the people are very poor. And then some guy has like a, you know, Gucci car and he's the bad guy, but he's also friends with the mayor. So, or the, or yeah, I forget what city it's set in, but, um, and a lot of it's probably because they're dubbed. So a lot of it's probably lost in translation. Like some of these cops seem to jump very nimbly to the most bizarre solutions. It's like, wait a minute, Sherlock Holmes, how did you, but I think a lot of the, I think it's just kind of ambiguous because of the translation. But yeah, Polish police dramas on Netflix are weird and cool. I believe I believe it's Norway. I probably got this wrong. So I'm like, uh, is Oslo in Norway? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, anyways, there's this Oslo bridge. There's a show called The Bridge. Uh, yeah. I believe it was Norwegian. I believe it's an Oslo bridge. And this is like one of the coolest bridges in the world. Yeah, it's the economic center of Norway. Okay. And like the bridge goes out into the middle of the sea and then dives under the sea. It's a really cool bridge. <laughs> is it like a tunnel at some point? Is that what Yeah, it is? yeah, it tunnels under the okay. sea. It's so it's okay. so it's so commercial freighters can still cross without having to like open a bridge up and stuff like that. Wow. But I believe expense-wise, it's cheaper to build on top to some point and then build under the rest of the way rather oh. than building under the entire way. Um, you better have very steady tidal forces and stuff <laughs> if you're going to do that. <laughs> well, I mean, they have like they, we have like the channel and stuff like that, but I'm not sure how yeah, the distance That's an end-to-end end tunnel, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a tunnel underneath the... Yeah, but I'm saying if you have the entry point into an underground tunnel out in the middle of the bridge, I better hope the water doesn't go oh, yeah, yeah. start like filling the tunnel. Then it becomes the Norwegian death tube, <laughs> a band and something that could happen. But yeah, that's a really cool bridge. And there was like a murder on the bridge in the show. And they brought it to America and they made it like this whole thing. Because I think maybe the bridge goes to another country. So okay, yeah, probably is, is Sweden next to Norway? I know I'm always going to screw For this up. For the sake of this conversation, we'll say yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's like 
Norway, Sweden, and Finland. Yeah, I think I got that right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because like the Finns were always getting invaded by Russians and Germans, so because it's on the land, the other two are away. Okay, good. Um, And they don't like to be called Scandinavian. They prefer being called Norse countries, which I don't know the difference. (laughs) Yeah, I prefer to be addressed as a red dragon. (laughs) I don't know. That's one of those things, but. I learned it in college. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so they brought it to America, and then the whole thing came about, like, a bridge on the border of America and Mexico, and then there's a murder on the bridge. But, like, the... But it's, like, barely a... It's not really a a bridge. It's just, like, the bridge at the crossing. Like, it's a... It's it's basically... It's a freeway that goes up and down, and that's your quote-unquote bridge. So, it's definitely not as cool, but that show was good for the first season. Because that was the... The show that had the uh, the main detective was autistic. Okay, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, we talked about it. I think, but it was on, it was on FX. But yeah, it's one of those. Anyways, so uh, so we'll start again with our our first show as we usually do NCIS New Orleans. Yes, uh, season one, episode three, Breaking Brig, which I interesting. I'm assuming that's a Breaking Bad reference. <laughs> I'm guessing. Uh, original air date October seventh, twenty fourteen, CBS Tuesday. The NCS team investigates the crash of an armored transport bus carrying naval brig detainees after four prisoners escape, including a black market broker who is one of the country's biggest national security threats. Meanwhile, Pride turns to Gibbs for assistance when a case file needed for the investigation is full of redactions. Credit IMDb. Uh, showrunner Glary Glasberg. He wrote this episode with Laurie Arnott and Sonia Winton. I think Sonia Winton's like a supervising writer, so I think that's why she's attached, or I assume it's a woman, attached to a lot of these episodes, uh, at least okay. in the Internet Movie Database credits. Because if you if you watch the credits while the show, there's really only like one or two writers, but like Internet Movie Database credits like multiple writers beyond what's actually credited on the show but i'll just go with internet movie database because it's easier uh directed by uh, uh tony warmby okay uh, oh yeah now i have to go to my personal notes i have uh, here the most knowing gen z morons actually aren't at fault for a government bus going out of control and releasing seemingly dangerous people um because it's like some kids going on spring break to new orleans and they're distracting each other by like getting on their phone and stuff. And even though like the setup is like they would accidentally run this bus off the road. If you watch the episode, they do nothing wrong. Like they pay attention to the road, the bus rolls at them and then they get out of the way. So. Yeah. They evade the, the bus... last second. Yeah. And then the bus rolls over prisoners escape and then they steal the car from the Gen Z moron. And then of course uh, a bunch of the guards are dead and so NCIS shows up because it was a Navy prisoner transport or something. Yeah. Yeah, Brody. So like Brody says something about like getting left at boarding schools. And then I then I was like, I finally had to ask myself a stupid question after years of just hearing a statement like that. It's like, what the hell is a boarding school? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of one of those curious things. It's like, this is what the unwanted children of wealthy people talk about. Yeah. Which that's basically what it is. It's like, hey, what if high school was college for teenagers and you just leave your kid at a school and they're boarding there? Yeah. Room and board, hence a boarding school. So that's what those are. I think Oliver Stone talked a lot about those in his autobiography. 
Yeah. And for yeah, for that that's reason, <laughs> as I remember, yeah. But that's like it's like something like throughout my entire life, you just hear, yeah, various things about like a boarding school. Like my parents left me at boarding school. That's why I hate them. But it seems so specific. It's like, oh yeah, rich people write movies, <laughs> and then their experiences are put in those movies, and then I have no idea what they're talking about. Anyways, yeah, it's always something. So yeah, yeah, it was revealed that Brody was left at a. So apparently, she had some crappy parents that would just uh, leave her at a boarding school that they thought was good and would teach her things, and then she just learned to reject her parents and become a, <laughs> a police officer. Uh, you have once again, you have um, um, you have Wade <laughs> sitting on her sitting on her thing at the crime scene. <laughs> yes. Or a crime case or whatever. So crime that, box. That continues. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Pride's marital troubles continue to bedevil him. Yeah, that that's uh that that becomes uh, you know we've been guessing at that the last two episodes and now it's pretty much directly revealed. Like oh okay now everything makes sense. Yeah. Because um, uh, he is agreeing to go to couples therapy. Um, yeah. But, but on the way to the crime scene, or... the fo- the phone's ringing. It's like it's just my wife. Let it go to voicemail. It's like, ooh, okay. <laughs> but I'm not sure if he's had trouble going to couples counseling or if he's going back to it. And he's like, eh, it didn't work the first time. And then also we find out that like uh, the last episode ended with a uh, case where where a dead marine. Uh, and then when we get to this episode, is basically revealed that that uh, that was just uh, a thing that happens. That is not the direction. Uh, conclusion this episode is not the direct conclusion of that episode it's just yeah. a new episode yeah it wasn't made clear that there was any through line through the episodes so this is all new I did think the thing that was interesting was the when they were going through the list of the prisoners that escaped and the, the, the uh, uh, was it Matt S. O'Keefe was, was an yeah. anagram for enemy of the state <laughs> Yeah, which yeah, everyone that. knew right away because I think that's like code for something. Yeah, um, well, I didn't understand whatsoever. I didn't know if that was intentional or not, but I guess. Well, the fact that he maybe. either either Pride is like got like a one sixty IQ and just immediately like everything he reads, he jumbles it up for the answers, or that's something that the government does when they're transporting people to because because that was yeah they want to transport somebody anonymously yeah. That's what I assumed but, it to be. I could be yeah, wrong. That's what I, yeah, that's what I assumed, but I have no idea. Um, it seemed kind of neat. It was, it was like it's like one of the things you throw in there where it's like, here's a little puzzle, and now it's solved. It's like, oh, cool. Yeah. Um, although this whole episode, I think, is kind of, is kind of hindered by the it, – the, it feels like this is a part of an episode of the NCIS net, network – universe yes <laughs> and we're and like possibly some of these episodes uh th- these characters are in other episodes of other shows um and if they aren't uh this episode is pretty weak <laughs> yeah it, it builds it bit well let's see the okay we'll talk about the three prisoners that escaped from the bus so apparently they attacked the guards in in in, in some way and it's computer uh, generated for us by the the office computer. Oh yeah, that nerd. that 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 is then that is a terrible <laughs> computer yeah. simulation. 
but he always does that. So yeah, yeah, it must be it's it must be fun for the viewers. They did they do that in like every NCIS. It's like, which I'm wondering if that's just like the previs. If you're doing a stunt, they have these things called previs where basically you can mock something up. It's like okay, this is how the stunt will go, and then you just do it in real life with those references in mind. Uh, and this could be like the uh, the previs for that stunt in the opening shot. Um, and previs is not meant to be like broadcast. It's just a reference. And so it doesn't need to look good. Uh, but apparently they're just like, hey, let's let's just use that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the people that are watching this probably think, wow, isn't that high tech that they can do that? <laughs> yeah, I well, I guess I guess in the in the um, in the simulation, it's not just a recreation of the scene we saw in the opening. It's like the thing on the bus about like the guard getting taken down and stuff like that. Uh, and then how it rolled and how possibly people died. So that is useful because we didn't see those guards died. We just came upon their bodies later. So, so the three people that escaped are uh, Levon Dalton, who was apparently his rank was recruit. So he didn't make it. <laughs> Very far, and then this Matt S. O'Keefe, which is the, which is the pseudonym for Dmitry Babakov, an international uh, merchant and everything from arms to drugs to you know to human trafficking. He's every kind of evil, yeah. and it's the Russians yeah. are coming. He's a Russian, and then we have Lieutenant Ted Nash, who immediately Ooh. I was like, okay, this is the bad guy because this is the <laughs> only guy with an officer's rank. And he had, and they said he's got a perfectly clean record. It's like, okay, so he made sure he was on that bus for some reason. It's like he's an engineer at the shipyard. It's like, okay, he's selling. I literally put that together yeah. as soon as it. And then when it didn't look that way, because in the simulation they said, well, the Levant guys are, he's a bad dude and he's a big guy and he could, you know, he could have like done something to those guards, like strangle them or something. And, you know, while the other guy grabbed the gun and shot him. And, uh, yeah. and it's like, yeah, I don't think they have that right. But, you know. <laughs> And, every, and so the story I mean, kind of unfolded. I didn't know exactly how it was going to unfold, but it, it, like everything I thought was like, yeah, that's that's it. Well, they also had the moment where the the one lieutenant guy directly looks at a camera and shows like some distress signal on his arm. Yes, yes. And that was actually that was like when I was immediately suspicious of him. It's like, oh, he's the bad guy. Yeah, he's 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 <laughs> he's stage managing everything. <laughs> Although I didn't, that didn't really make sense. I was just kind of another like, um, another mystery to throw on top of like, well, what's this about? This isn't what we were thinking about before. But of course, this gives the excuse to fly to an aircraft carrier to meet in like some room to get a, a unredacted document from Gibbs, yes. who is the main guy from normal NCIS, who's just like read it and burn it. Which is, is, I don't know if they would actually, I don't know if they would A, either keep that a secret from investigating officers or, you know, it's one of those things that's like they're, they're cutting us out. It's like, well, that's only crucial information to what you're investigating. I don't know if that would really happen. That seemed to be like a reason to like, let's, let's have an aircraft scene just to remind everyone (laughs) this is the Naval Criminal Investigation Service in case they forgot. Secret documents, interrogation, what does it all mean? we have this this footage of an aircraft carrier so that's gotta look cool <laughs> yeah gotta have that footage of the aircraft carriers let's see cedar rapids was mentioned in this episode yeah i was, I was somehow cedar rapids makes it into like every show mm-hmm. it's like it, I, I i can just imagine that like a writer googles like cities from iowa yeah and they're like 
Des Moines, too obvious. What's the second one? Cedar Rapids. All right. Yeah, that shows a little depth. <laughs> We've done our research. Yeah, it was, but that was, it was to mention that like Brody just keeps moving from place to place because this is when they are crossing state lines over to Alabama, which is LaSalle's uh, hometown. So he misses Alabama because they're going to the one Navy recruit guy is on his way to see his dying mother uh, and they stop him on the way because this is when they think he's just a normal bad guy because they've left like a wake of bodies after escaping the, the bus because there was like a shootout in the middle of a swamp somewhere uh, or some house in the middle of the swamp. Yeah. Because for this episode, they did a lot of stuff like outside the city. So it was kind of like showing the danger around New Orleans. <laughs> like, uh, like Alabama. Like I was for... <laughs> but I was waiting for something where it's like, like somebody uh, gets hit and dies of sepsis or whatever. And it's like, no matter what you do, <laughs> there's danger all around. Yeah, it was. Uh, and then, uh, of course, LaSalle had some insight into uh, Dalton because they're both Alabama boys who love their moms. And that's how he, he guessed <laughs> where he was like, he's going to see his mom. And then when they interrogate the guy, you think he's like holding out or something. And then it turns out it's like, no, he got away from those guys as quick as he could because, uh, you know, he, one guy was a Russian and the other guy was a psychopath. So it's like, okay. Who apparently knew super karate and was able to take down those guards by himself. Yeah, he did the intestine damage because he, he learned from, you know, who's the guy from <laughs> Kill Bill? Pai May or whatever, the, the <laughs> practitioner of the, you know, the five fingers of death or, you know, whatever. It's like, okay, yeah, super karate. Good, good, good one there. Now, he does well, beat the like crap that. out of everyone he encounters. Yeah. Um, uh, there, there was an interesting moment, like, when they they go to the building and they think the, what, the guys are inside. They go NCIS, and then the other guy goes federal agents next. And then they turn their hats backwards and take the building. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, what's that about? And then I didn't really get an answer. What I assume is like, if somebody opened the door, like they'll have their hats on, they say NCIS, like everything's identifiable, but if they have to like take the building, I'm guessing they turn their hat backwards. So they have visibility all over the plates. Cause like, if you take a building, like you want to like, people can be anywhere. Like they can be like up places and stuff. So you don't want like a hat bill blocking your vision of some dude pointing a gun down on you so i assume that's why they turn their hats backwards but yeah i've never seen that before. i've had people tell me that's the worst part of policing clearing a house it's like oh yeah. you just send the dogs in they, they don't do the <laughs> they do on tv they send the dogs because <laughs> the dogs will tear you to shreds um especially if they're you know just off the chain and you're not right there and it's like yeah that's the worst thing you can do i mean you don't do that when kids and stuff are in there but <laughs> I've, I've had multiple people tell me it's like yeah it's the worst thing you can do is clear a house because <laughs> you're like you said that there's stairs and weird alcoves and, and just people could be waiting there with shotguns and they'll just kill you um yeah we we uh we do practice scenarios of taking buildings and guys who do stuff where like they're doing like van damme splits on the walls like when you're taking the stairs and the dude's like <laughs> doing splits above the walls like ha i got you it's like screw you <laughs> yeah well if i'm going after a ninja then i'll remember to, <laughs> you know look into like for someone doing some spider move in the corner it's gonna parkour through the air and shoot me six times on the way you know a six foot drop 
Yeah, <laughs> that's what you got to worry about. It's like, yeah, yeah, shoulder your rifle up there, buddy, doing the splits. <laughs> but, you know, we didn't have any ammunition or anything or any of those Miles vests or anything like that. It's just a guy going bang, bang. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was interesting, like, uh, interesting thing they taught us that seemed like too complicated to be worthwhile, but it's like taking the stairs and it's basically you stand face to face with somebody you're taking the stairs with and you put your shoulder on their, you put your rifle on their shoulder and vice versa. And then you walk up the stairs, they walk up backwards, you walk up forward and then you're just like scanning the area with your rifle. And it's like, I hope you have hearing protection. (laughs) Yeah. That's going to hurt if that thing discharges into my face, you know, the ejection port. It's, it's going to feel great. I guess I'm not dead. I just, you know, had to take, you know, hot shell casing to the face. It's like the, like I like I'm a left hand shooter with a bullpup forever. <laughs> just, <laughs> oh. but it's like, what if you have to like move your rifle to, to the left? Like their their face is in the way. And you just spin around. That's why, you, that's you why just, it seemed like yeah. You yeah, just yeah. pirouette and you both shoot. You just run in a circle. <laughs> So it, the movement and the appearance will throw the enemy like, what? What is this ballet of death? <laughs> I assume it's one of those things where like somebody came up with it and it's like, this is a good idea. And then like, you ask some Navy SEALs like, we don't do that. <laughs> what do you guys do? Flashbang. Just grenade. blow the place up. <laughs> yeah, just plastic explosive. Come out. It's your last chance. <laughs> okay. Light it up. <laughs> Do they speak English? Oops. (laughs) Satchel charge. You understand? Okay, goodbye. (laughs) Calling a drone strike. We got to clear this house. Drone strike. They have anti-tank weapons in there. It's like a, you know, like a heating duct. Uh, So, yeah, it ends up with a a shootout in some warehouse somewhere where, because the lieutenant guy offs the, the the evil russian guy because easily the most- yes friends friends yes and he turns around <laughs> and shoots him in the back it's like okay <laughs> that doesn't that seems like a pretty naive for a russian international criminal <laughs> yes friends the guy who i gave up i and you know i gave you up that's why you're here but uh in, the ncas have figured out that he's the actual bad guy at that point so they're chasing him uh he ends up like catching brody and disarming her and using her as a as a as a shield, a human shield, and then Pride like has uh, sights on the guy, and then they like debate for a little bit, and then uh, Pride just shoots him in the head, and we're good. Headshot, you know. <laughs> and then he like does, does like a thirty foot tumble off the, you know, just the platform that they're randomly standing on that has no guards, rails, or anything on. Yeah, <laughs> those really dangerous buildings where it's just like open. Hollywood or Hollywood deindustrialization. There's no <laughs> factories that are multi-level had guardrails or anything. You just walk right off. Um, At least there wasn't like a pit of like you know, like molten metal for some reason. <laughs> you know, that's always the good one. The old pit of molten metal with no safety guards around it. Like, yeah, walk in. <laughs> but then this becomes a point of contention because they want they are supposed to take this guy alive to know like what did he sell to whoever and. Uh, so they don't get that because he's dead and this is and then uh, so he ends up talking with one of the directors of the the ncs or whatever who is on the normal ncs show and 
and pride is like it's like yeah i'll take that heat all day it's like because <laughs> this is like emphasizes like that this this show is more about the personal connections between people and then you have like you know you save brody's life and then at the end they let the the navy guy who was in the brigs uh, see his mom one last time yeah uh, so they, they emphasize the importance of uh, knowing people and emotions and stuff like that so that is the separation from the other ncis shows yeah i did like it that the guy was like really the the one of the co-directors or whatever of course this is all done through their you know conference screens and it's like we're gonna <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of heat for him being killed and you know which way it's gonna go and he's like well if you want my badge you know where i am like you know just using one of my people as a human shield it's like and he's and he's he knows you know the five fingers of death it's like we're not gonna take this guy <laughs> alive and you know unless we yeah, send send like you know a bunch of special forces guys in that only do hand to hand combat. It's like that's the only way you're gonna catch this guy. He's so good. We have a rocket launching taser. You should have used it. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, uh, it ends with like Pride sleeping at the office again. So yeah, Agre- agreeing to uh, calls his wife and agrees a couple therapy or leaves her a voicemail. I can't remember. Yeah, they're always leaving voicemails, so it's. Because I kind of wonder, like, are we going to find out? Because, again, I don't know any. I just watch the shows. I don't do any research of advances. Like, his wife's been dead for years. All those phone calls and conversations. <laughs> are not, it's like a whole, like, uh, uh, what was that? The, uh, some kind of weird version of uh, Fight Club at the end. <laughs> it's like, Bride's <laughs> wife never existed. <laughs> we just keep him around because he was very effective at everything else. But he seemed to. The only uh, thing. The only thing I vaguely know, and I don't know if it's like his, if, if she plays his wife in the show or a love interest later on, but either his wife or the love interest is Scott Bakula's actual wife later okay. on in the show. That's nice. So. So yeah, this was kind of a, last week was a high note for me. This was sort of a return to form. Of like, because oh, <laughs> last week had a lot yeah. of things in it that were cool, and this week was kind of like it, it had a lot of things that oh, this is gonna be neat. Now nah, it's it's not because once you start figuring out the plot ten minutes in, it's like mm, okay, well, I'm just yeah, gonna see where they're kind they're me. just kind of they're kind of just going through the motions. Like you need like this excitement at every like at every um, commercial break. Yeah. Um, and, but like because the way we're watching, there's no commercials. We're not sit there contemplating about what happened. It's immediately resolved. And sometimes that is not, it's like, it's not exciting because the resolution is like, oh, okay. You don't have that five minutes of imagination time while you're being inundated with ads for <laughs> Tide Pods. Um, yeah. Which sometimes that's hard to anticipate. It's like, well, this the structure of a TV show, we need a break here and we need something exciting. It's like, what if he killed the guy? And then you come back from break. It's like, why did he kill the guy? <laughs> so, yeah, this was more of a regular NCIS episode, I guess. Yeah. Uh, this probably had, ah, I don't know. That brought Gibbs in, so that was probably, I bet that was, I bet that boosted their numbers or whatever for this show. Because you, you can imagine when they did, like, next week on NCIS, and they just, like, cut to Gibbs, like, turning to camera. And it's like, oh, we got to watch that. <laughs> Okay. Uh, so we're missing out on that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's still better than anything I could randomly find, though. So. Yeah. So then this week, The Mentalist, this is season uh, one, episode three, Red Tide. And I and I've uh, accidentally looked ahead because I was looking at the episode list, 
every episode in this season has red somewhere in the title. <laughs> okay. Well, the serial killer was like Red Tom or Red the John. Guy who, Red John, yeah. The guy who killed his family, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So this aired uh, October 14th, 2008. It was written by Ashley Gable, directed by David M. Barnett. And basically the same cast we've been with. It's only episode three of the first season. Uh, the body of a young surfer girl is washed up on the Santa Marta beach and Patrick socializes with her friends to find the killer. Yes, and this is some kind of weird surfer culture that they're involved in of young people. Yeah. This this is uh, this is a wacky episode. <laughs> it is, but it's also uh, dark cuz there's like underage yeah. sex. Um mm-hmm. uh, just weird pe- I mean just weird kids like we're all going to each yeah. cover up a murder in our own way and <laughs> you know keep we're, we're not going to keep our own story straight. We're we're going to entomb someone in cement. And then we're going to play have, games. Like, it starts where, where it starts almost like a, it's like a music video where it's just like a young girl playing on the beach and then her mom's there and it's like cutting around and then there's a body on the beach and then we cut to credits. Yeah. It was sort of weird. <laughs> and no, no words are spoken. Yeah. No one screams or anything. It's just nope. body on the beach. And then da, 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 da. And we come back to like Van Pelt and Patrick Jane are playing some game where he knows where the keys are just by like, reading her body language or something yeah i don't know this is like the uh, this i mean i guess it's like a, the fun moments with the character is like there's always the idea of like presenting like he he's using like deduction to figure things out but he wants to present it as magic because people like it to seem like it's magic rather than just like easy yeah. deduction that they're just not looking at <laughs> yeah the world's better with uh, magic in it because then there's hope <laughs> But really, everything's just break down into ones and zeros, and it's like, can you decode those? And then I have something I have a list where it's like, so the body was drowned, but was hit in the head by a surfboard, but somehow it's ruled not an accident but a murder. Because there's always like times where like people are riding a wave, and like the way the wave hits, like just will knock the surfboard into their head. Like that happens. Well, it's and another it's another drown. seawater versus land water thing. Because she was drowned in like brackish, there was brackish water in oh, her okay. lungs, like what you'd find in a tank on a construction site. You don't know that then, but yeah. it's the seawater is totally different. So it's like because her lungs weren't pumping when her body was thrown out there. So okay, okay, that makes sense. That's okay. that's why it was ruled a homicide because of the. Um, it's consistent with like surf injuries, but when they look at the water, it's like, oh wait, this isn't this isn't uh, briny salt water. This is. <laughs> This is like tank water sitting in a desert somewhere. Then I have here that Jane says everything is relevant. So um, this might be a little catchphrase of his. And I just wrote question mark, hope and win. That's one of the names of two of the characters. And I didn't know if that was going to mean anything. Like, (laughs) yeah, I was waiting for those names to like decode and um, they didn't. And then you find out like Christine's father is an alcoholic but he's not a depraved alcoholic. He's just like a guy who's sad that his wife died in a car accident and he's got these three kids to raise and never got over it. So yeah. yeah. And he's completely relying on the children to raise themselves. Like he goes to work and then comes home and drinks himself into a stupor. Yeah. 
which I, I was reading, I was like, oh, I hope this doesn't turn into like some weird rapey stuff. Like I'll replace my daughter. My daughter's now my wife. Like I was waiting for that to happen. Yeah, so. I didn't know which <laughs> which way the weirdness was going to come from in this episode, but um, I knew it was coming. Because there was, I mean, because she's dead, but you can already see him like replacing his older daughter with his next daughter in line. <laughs> like, make your brother a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, would you? <laughs> and he's talking in front of his younger daughter and his son, and he's like, he don't know, he's slow. He's just sad because he knows <laughs> his sister's sad. And it's like, oh, gee, Dad, don't, yeah, just fire with both barrels. But then you find <laughs> out, like, he, he is a f***ed up guy, but not not that. He, he's, he's an understandably f***ed up guy, not a, yeah, like, you're my wife now. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's the, yeah, those things don't lead to depravity. He's just very sad and lonely and uh, bad at taking care of his children. <laughs> I mean, he brings the money in, so that's what he does. He think, I mean, that's what he him, said. He goes, I've he never missed a day of work. Don't judge me for drinking. I'm always yeah. at work. And it's like, yeah, I know guys like that. They still suck because <laughs> uh, I have to deal with them every day. I'm here. It's like, yeah, you look a little hungover, and it's Tuesday. Hung- hangovers are Saturday night things, not. And this is where we get a, like a little bit of background on on Libson or yeah, Lib- no, Lisbon, yeah. Um, uh, where she immediately like recognizes her own father in this guy. So yeah, like oh, she had an alcoholic father. Mother probably died for reasons. Then, so she is immediately, um. A bit emotional about this because she recognizes her own life and that's what's happening. Because yeah, the the kids are Win, Hope, Danny, and Andy, and then there's a kind of a strange character called Flipper who's like the obvious suspect because he's got <laughs> yeah. tattoos, he's a weirdo, but turns out he's really good at chess. Um, I mean, not yeah, as yeah, good as so, Jane, but so yeah, when they go to when they go to the beach, they they to investigate things. He goes with Cho and the. Um, meathead guy i'll remember his name i think it's rigsby um yeah and then uh jane decides to just stay there and figure things out and that's where he has the weird scene where he's like building a sandcastle with a shoe and then like some kid offers him a bucket and then he builds this awesome sandcastle and the little kid doesn't (laughs) and then they're jealous but everybody on the beach is mesmerized by his sandcastle and that's where he meets flipper uh and then you have a fun little thing because like when the the rest of the team basically fingers this guy is like oh he's the guy like he's the most obvious suspect and they go to arrest him at his at his trailer and then when they go to arrest him uh, patrick jane is there just hanging out playing chess with the guys (laughs) yeah talking like you know like yeah this advanced theory chess about ah this french offense is a waste of time and i'm about to show you (laughs) and that's this is like a lot of several moments of like, okay, this is a creepy guy, but he's like, ah, I don't, I, but I don't have sex with him until they're eighteen. Like, I'm not a total weirdo. Yeah, the girl who got killed in this was fifteen years old, so yeah, keep that in mind. But yeah, he says when they turn eighteen, he has a special present for them, but he doesn't do anything with them until they turn eighteen, which is like, okay, that's you're a mixed moral bag of bad <laughs> ideas, but okay. <laughs> my morals lead up to the line of the law <laughs> and then you've got the one kid's dad uh uh dane cook no no dane what do they call him kurtrick is his name kutrick uh, i can't remember that was the guy's the kid's dad who was the big developer the rich guy yeah who like jane basically uh said yeah we know you were sleeping with christine and 
because she had a nickname for him, Pops, and he called yeah. after him once, like, hey, Pops, and the guy turned around. He's like, we know what you were doing. And course, yeah, because he was listening to, like, 50s music yeah. or whatever, and they, that was a, a point early on that, that that was the music you listened to. So then you think it's, like, immediately, it's, oh, oh it's that guy because she was going to talk, and so he didn't want to lose his business or get in trouble, so he killed her. And, um, turns out it wasn't, though. As a matter of fact, you don't you don't know who killed her until it's 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 like then you get you get these confessions from these well, all these different we have a we have a scene first and this is like built upon the previous episode yeah he mesmerizes them or hypnotizes them yeah but in this instance he's not hypnotizing them. <laughs> right which really in every instance he's not hypnotizing them but anyways <laughs> anyways that's his that's why I missed this I kind of. That's why I glossed over that because I was like, well, he's doing the same thing, but I, you know, that's, I was my own. Yeah, but this time he's doing it. It's like, into it. we're, well, it's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're being led to believe that, oh, he's doing the same thing as last time, but this time it's different because when somebody lies to pretend that they're hypnotized and they, they uh, fingered the dad for killing her, um, that's when he realizes, like, oh, she's lying because I'm not hypnotizing them. Or, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Or etc. Because <laughs> uh, that's also like the idea of the show is like his magic tricks are tricks. He's not actually making people do things they don't want to do. He just like knows how to push people's buttons, essentially. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not magic that makes you do the things he wants. It's he knows behavior. <laughs> if I do this, you'll do this. Because I'm smarter than you. Because <laughs> he was always asking like the weird questions, like what uh, what kind of animal would you be? And but he keeps asking these kids these questions over and over again, just at different yeah. times. And it's like, what's he getting yeah, out of that? Well, it's like something where like they 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 relate Christine to being prey, and they relate themselves to being predators, and that was like that's how he figures it out. But then, I mean, that's the thing about the show is like this stuff isn't concrete evidence, but it's just something that if he does enough of these things where it's like leads him to a conclusion, then like, you know, it's kind of fun for the audience. Like, ah, he, it's like, he was just kind of figuring out along the way. He doesn't have any concrete evidence. Cause that's not what he does. That's what CBI is supposed to do. He's just supposed to have feelings and intuitions that he works on with, Vaguely scientific methods and just conning people into uh, confessing to crimes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, after the hypnotist incident where they basically uh, put it on the dad, that's when um, everybody comes in to confess, and you kind of got like this Rashomon thing again, where everybody has a different uh, view of how she died, and it turns out like they all killed her. Yeah. Which, when I saw that, it was like, ah, it's good luck prosecuting that. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, and at some point there's a, a dead body in a cement. Yeah. There's a security guard that they accidentally killed as well. Because <laughs> they knocked him over on a backhoe. <laughs> yeah, I Which, just... Yeah, that, that will do a number on you. <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll kill you. If you run into the teeth on, on a, the front of a backhoe, it will easily penetrate your skull. Um, <laughs> I just like that it was like it was just a piece of a nose sticking out of the cement that, that gave it away. It was a weird image. It, yeah. it was. And I like the construction people are like, we're gonna have to close this down as a as a crime scene and everyone's like, Oh f 
that. We must build. <laughs> it's like, who are these <laughs> lunatics that do this? Why, why must you hinder our progress? <laughs> In the name of capitalism. I, yeah, I was waiting because there was construction going on this show. I was waiting for the, the alcoholic father to be like at work at one of these scenes, but he was not. That yeah, I was hoping I was wondering if that was going to play I, into I, it. But I feel like that was a missed opportunity <laughs> connection you could have put in there. That or they just ran out of time. It's, it's this one. The clock seemed to wind really fast the last 15 minutes. It was yeah. almost like, we know what scenes we got to do. We got to do them fast. Like, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Who's walking in? Who's saying what? And how are we going to put it all together? Well, you have the, what's his name? Dane? Like, have some him doing creepy stuff where basically he gets away with statutory rape, but also creepily talks to, to Lisbon like, hey, 15 years ago, I could have picked you up. Basically saying, like, if she was a teenager, he would have, like, had sex with her. It's like... Ah, I guess you can't arrest people for saying dumb crap like that. But it's a weird thing to say to a cop when you're under suspicion of having sex with a 15 year old <laughs> girl. That's not the time to roll that humor out. But they just want to establish this guy's an asshole, and they have three and a half minutes to do it for the whole episode. Yeah. He's literally in it three minutes, so it's yeah, you gotta. You, you, you and then they suggest at the end of the out. episode that like, even though his son's probably going to go to jail for murder, and all the kids are. Or I guess they're underage, so maybe they won't go to jail or go to juvie. Um, but because he's rich, he's going to get away. He's going to get away with statutory rape. So, that well, is all those kids are from some sure. well-off community around Santa Barbara. So, yeah, they're going to be fine. Yeah, they'll find the poorest one will take the rap. He actually did it. The one who can't <laughs> afford the high-powered lawyers, whichever one that was, I don't know. But it seemed like all those. No one got killed in this episode, like outright. So. That was interesting because usually, yeah, like nobody James, was shot like, in front of James. leading people and okay, get your gun out, time to shoot them. <laughs> you know that didn't happen, so that's good. But it's kind of a wacky episode and it ends on like kind of a serious note, so it's just kind of a just kind of a weird episode. But yeah, uh, this is a disconcerting show overall because it's like <laughs> you watch it and you're like, huh, that's interesting, and then you think about it, it's like who am I supposed to like here? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, all these people are damaged in some serious way. Um, well, I think like a lot of this episode is another, like, I think every episode, what you're doing is you're building up the tool set of the Patrick Jane characters. Like, this is what he can possibly do. And then here they kind of like, they use it against you. It's like, you think like with the hypnotism, like, Oh, he's going to do this, but it's like, they swerved that on you. So I kind of look forward to, to other episodes that where they'll they'll do that as well, where like you think it's going one way and then they'll flip it on you. So that's that's kind of fun. Yeah, Re- rewards you for paying attention. So. Yeah, so an overall satisfying episode. My, you know, probably my favorite of the new shows we're watching. We have Miami Vice season one, episode three, Cool Running. Yeah, let me get my episode notes up for that because I just I wrote them on the computer uh, tonight. Original air date, October 5th, 1984, NBC on Friday. Uh, Crockett and Tubbs must enlist the help of an unreliable petty thief to bust a drug operation run by a trio of homicidal Jamaicans. Yep. Showrunner Michael Mann, written by Anthony Yurkovich, Joel Surnow, directed by Lee H. Katzen. And the informant in this case is a completely over-the-top character named, his, his real name's Nougat Lamont, but they call him Noogie. <laughs> Uh, and he's kind of like a petty criminal slash guy who knows what's going on in the, the Jamaican underworld of Miami. 
<laughs> um, which because is a... but also but also he steals some he steals some like rap sheet and he's able to like use information against him. Yeah, um, he's a con to... man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, my first note on here is because when they're the first thing they do in the episodes, they're like they're like staking out a drug deal, and I just wrote Iraq Camaro. <laughs> that was there the Z twenty eight Iraq Camaro. Okay, yep. and it led uh, to a very a, weird chase of vans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this, yeah, yeah, they're usually in Ferraris and stuff. This time they're in a beat up old undercover van that's supposed to be inconspicuous. <laughs> so that, that kind, yeah, it kind of seems like they like drew the short straw on this, like the. They're just doing a stakeout in a crappy van, so it kind of seems like, you know, they didn't have the cool assignment this week. Yeah, well, the, the thing with Switek and the other, that like that becomes a big thing because those cops are kind of incompetent, but yeah. well-meaning. But that, I mean, that we're, we're this is still Miami Vice light, even though there's like serious stuff that happens and and terrible stuff that happens. You know, by the time about season three, there's like no humor anymore. Like there's nothing fun. <laughs> it's just very, very, uh, very dark. But yeah, the well, they uh, do have the, they have those slow, they have the chase out with like weird slow motion stuff. Or the, yes, they open up the back of the van and like shoot at them, and there's like these weird close ups of like the window and their faces, and then and then they slowly like hit a mound of dirt with a with a backhoe <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, or Earth Mover, or whatever. Um, and I, I'm guessing the, the slow motion looked weird, so I'm guessing it wasn't true slow motion. They must have done like um, um, what you can do editing is just like you can double the frames. Yeah. Um, and then it'll like look like slow motion, but it won't be as smooth as actual slow motion because slow motion is expensive to shoot because it's one, it's more film. Also, you have to get special cameras for it. So I'm guessing it was just something they did in uh, afterwards in uh, post production. Yeah, but they, get, but they give it a weird, eerie thing. It's like, what's going on here? Are they about to die? Yeah, it had kind of like a dreamlike quality to it, which was weird. I because I thought what they were doing was like. They just shot. They took a bunch of shots and they were interspersing like the like the order of the shots. Like some of the yeah. film was taken in advance and some of it was taken before, and they were just trying to create a a, dream, a weird dreamlike effect. I don't know if that was to show the stress they were under, um, because these guys were basically you know ripoff artists that would show up and spray people down with um, machine gun fire and just rob drug dealers. That's what these guys were yeah. doing. And, and, you know, very violent criminals. Um, and this was the first appearance of the Tech Nine, which <laughs> comes up a lot in Miami Vice. What Actually, they call it the Inter, Inter Arms KG-99? Yeah, that's... Um, is, it, is that an actual designation or something that's made up for the show? I, I think it's... Um, oh, what was it? I think the version they're talking about was the South African version. Okay. Uh, because a lot of people... There were a lot of copies made. The Tech Nine... And you can watch, you know, watch uh, what's it called? Forgotten uh, Weapons? Yeah, watch Forgotten Weapons. Ian will tell you all about it. I can't only remember parts of it. But that was basically just a really cheap gun that, like, came, I think it came, was it? It was first invented in Europe, but it was, it was like, so. I thought it was in California, though. I thought cheap. some dude in California made it. And easy to, well, it's based, there's a, there's a core design it comes from. And then everyone okay. kind of made a version of it. Uh, yeah, because like the so there's a game called like 
what is it? It's like weapon builder or whatever, something like that. And you could like, you can take apart guns and put them to get back together. And the tech nine in the game um, is absurdly easy. There's like 16 pieces to a tech nine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's basically a Sten gun, but with modern materials. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that version, that, that what do they call it? I don't know. Not an arms expert, but basically it's off, it's an old, it's a Carl Gustav design. It, basically a flat, it's, it has what they call like a flat plate open breech. I mean, the, the gun's never going to jam. It's never going to fail. It's just not complicated enough to do that. Yeah. It's just going to go back and forth like a jackhammer. Fires from, ultim, fires from an open bolt. It's just yeah. like a just a cylinder with a barrel <laughs> it's basically a let you know because uzi was based on that but the uzis are a little more involved but yeah it's essentially yeah. a it's a gun that does exactly what it did in miami vice it just sprays bullets very quickly uh does not very accurately not very <laughs> it's kind of like a shotgun of if the nine for nine millimeters it just comes out very fast and you're sort of firing i've never actually shot one so i don't know what they're like but i, I know that they're like banned almost everywhere because they they, they're like a Saturday night special. They have one purpose. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like if you watched any, especially any movie from the 90s that dealt with like gangs, like there's always somebody with a Tech 9 and an AK 47. They're all automatic. Yeah. Uh, which in is California. Yeah. Which is weird because there's not that many of those around. They act <laughs> like everyone who is a criminal is automatic, is issued an automatic weapon. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they, it's like, yeah, those are in real life, those are hard to get, but it makes for exciting TV. And yeah, movies, yeah. just like uh, like like Heat, another Michael Mann joint. It's like where do these guys get these guns? It's like those those are not like generally available. Even the cops <laughs> were shooting semi-automatic versions of those guns, but the bank robbers, they're like, you know. And the only question I have during the chase is I like because they never like identify themselves as cops. So I was like, what was their plan? Are they? trying to cause a crash shoot them or pull them over it's like that's yeah. not clear right? it didn't seem well thought out it's like call for backup you're driving late 1970s high sitting v8 vans those things are gonna roll over this is the, the worst <laughs> chase vehicle ever i mean they're the only reason they're handy is because you can shoot your tech nines out of the back of them um from a seated position i guess i don't know and not kill the two guys 20 feet behind yeah. you which is what it would have been like that although line. i think i think uh crockett has like a red scar on his cheek the whole episode so i'm guessing it's like the glass or like a grazed bullet or bullet could graze be. or something or from when they ran into the the most improperly parked bulldozer in history <laughs> um yeah we come we come go from that and come back and they're like doing a cookout on crockett's boat and this is where it sets up like all the other cops the other vice cops because they're make a deal and then they they drop the lobster and that's a bit of comedy they have i didn't uh, i didn't remember seeing this episode but when i was watching this on the boat and uh, this isn't from recall i was like those younger cops they're gonna die before the end of this episode <laughs> and it turns out one of them did but the other one's in a coma or just came out of it or whatever but yeah it's like yeah. those guys are gonna die because because sunny and and you know the other guys they, they all like them it's like in their they're having comrade comradely competition. It's like, yeah, those guys are dead. This is Miami Vice. It's like you like those characters because it was a really young. It was kind of an older black guy, and um, a really young uh, Steve-O from Jackass. Uh, where, <laughs> I don't know. The guy looked exactly like him. It's not who it was. Yeah. yeah. He act like him too, but yeah, it's like, oh, those guys are gonna get killed. 
But yeah, it's not. And then somebody there that you have the um, from the previous episode where you have the other guy with Switek or whatever. That yeah, they have the um, Switek and Zito. Those are the guys. <laughs> they have their their uh, pawn shop scam <laughs> stuff going on, and, uh, and this is where they catch uh, the what's the guy's name Nugs or whatever. Noogie. Noogie. Yeah. Um, uh, but like they comically like he's trying to put a VCR in, and then he, like he pops open something and like he tries to run away and then Crockett and Tubbs just have to pull guns on him. It's like, ah, you're under arrest for because you know this guy just has a bunch of stolen stuff in his car trying to sell it to a pawn shop. So yeah, he's he's like a low level kind of lovable buffoon criminal. Yeah. Um. But of course, it's like oh, something bad's gonna happen to this guy because <laughs> he's not like a horrible criminal. But he's not like you know he he's a shyster and uh... yeah they take him in and for some reason put a bag over his head but like try to shut him up or something I'm not sure um, and uh, that's why why he has a bag over his he like and everyone goes in a meeting um, is that after the cops are shot is that the meeting they go and they're listening to the tape yeah I think that's yeah it, yeah right? that's when the two cops get shot the other two vice cops. And so they're like listening to the tape, and that's when uh, um, Noogie steals the police name. report from the guy's yeah, desk yeah. and is like, I can help you and with like, these guys you're looking for. And it was a total con job. Yeah. Although he did know somebody he yeah. went to jail with. But, uh, and then it ended up being a vague connection. But, anyways, uh, go the arrest episode is kind of them um, trying to look for the these guys because they know that they killed the cops or killed one of the cops. Um, and so it's like, you know, it's cop revenge thing. And then, uh, uh, but what's interesting is later on, like, I oh, would caught the guys. So like, cause they were going to like set up, um, I keep forgetting his name. Nugs. No. What is it? Noogie. Noogie. Why do I keep, why do I keep saying, they, did they call him Nugs at some point? Oh, anyways. His name's <laughs> Nugert or something like that. Oh, okay. okay. Cause he's supposed to be like uh, Jamaican, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Anyways, they were going to just set up Noogie to, like, put him, like, with these very violent guys who they knew, like, would probably kill him, but, like, then they could get to him. And so Crockett was willing to basically sacrifice a guy who was relatively innocent in the whole thing uh, just to uh, find these guys. Uh, but then it is the, it's revealed, like, they got the guys, but then when they go back to the precinct, there was like, no, that's not the guy. Like we're looking for Jamaican. That guy's Haitian, and they're like one of the older white cops who beat the crap out of this guy to get information out of him. It's like, ah, we got him. It's like, and then he gets Crocky gets really mad at him. It's like, it's like, well, all this is going to be inadmissible, and this is the wrong guy. <laughs> yeah, he like picks him up by his tie almost. <laughs> um, we see then, we, we see then, the first use of a taser on TV in this episode. <laughs> Okay, I have a note. Did they kill him with the taser? Did they kill that guy with the taser? I mean, I don't know. Because I, I, I did a look because the taser has been around since 1978 as a functional concept. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, it was around. But I think back then they were horribly expensive and the batteries could explode uh, because they were discharging so quickly. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I did a, a run-up on this. I don't think it killed him or it wasn't. But they weren't clear because they didn't put cuffs on him or something like he's going to wake up in five minutes. Um, yeah. So because they never said the word taser in the episode because they didn't want to be associated with the show. 
at the time. And uh, so I think they just said, yeah, they had a, you know, a taser, but they didn't say it. It didn't feel like they just incapacitated. It felt like they killed him. <laughs> yeah, it seemed to like go like it's like you're supposed to just hold the trigger for five seconds, and he just held on to that trigger until the guy stopped breathing. <laughs> the juice is gone. Yeah, it's like, well, we got him. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> what happened? And then for some reason, uh, Noogie, Noogie Lamont, I have it written right here, uh, the, the Jamaicans have him, uh, and they kind of know what they're walking into, and so they try to go and save uh noogie uh and you have like all kind of cop all different kinds of cops because i think it was like state cops or somebody who had like sharpshooters they're like positioned at a roof and they're just ready to take the building it's like no we got this we need no, to do that's this that's metro so swat be- they, they play oh, okay they play a part all throughout miami vice because they're all gung-ho kind of they seem like idiots but then at the last minute they'll do like the perfect thing because <laughs> there's always yeah. guys waiting around with machine guns or whatever and you know, and Crockett and Tubbs are like, we got this. Don't, we don't want to kill a bunch of people. And then they'll like shoot someone, and like, oh, I'm glad you were there to shoot him. So it's like, see, I'm not such an idiot after the, the the guy who leads the SWAT team is in a lot of episodes. Okay, so yeah, that comes up a lot. But the they do end up uh, saving Noogie, and but Noogie does take a a, a round to the arm, so yes. he's not. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, the lobster that was uh, dropped into the ocean by mistake that cost like $20, $29 or something to, would, would cost $130 today in, 20, <laughs> in 2021 bucks. Interesting weird fact. That doesn't mean $28 was worth well, 100 Well, because like when you're watching it, it's like, oh, you dropped $29 in, in the ocean? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, but this is 1984. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything like that? What's like the most expensive food you ever just dropped? Oh, that I wasted. Uh, there was, some I know one time there's one time I was like cooking two steaks and like something happened where like, I ended up like hitting something and like both steaks just went right to the floor. And I just had to contemplate like, can I scrape this off? Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. It's decision time. And then I just, just tossed them in the trash. <laughs> It's like oh, it's half an hour gone and thirty dollars. Uh, yeah, I had some really expensive steaks that we were grilling. Uh, it wasn't my grill, and I was drunk. But I think I was supposed to be watching them, and I think they just turned into charcoal. It's like, did you turn the steaks? It's like, what? It's like, dude, I'm time traveling right now. What are you talking about? And you just open up the grill, and it's just like charcoal. Okay, well, I think those are about fifty bucks a crack. Um, but it wasn't really. Well, I wasn't. I was designated the grill guardian, but I couldn't even stand up, so it wasn't my fault. <laughs> so now we turn to the Verhoeven effect, like where we uh, try to draw conclusions. The episode, like what are these, what are these shows say about society? <laughs> yeah, I had some notes on uh, that. Because um, uh, I, because I feel like like sometimes I give degrees of Verhoeven effect, and I feel like we're giving. NCS New Orleans, the full Verhoeven effect. Like we're reading into it much more than it actually deserves. But I think that's mostly because it has one of the most interesting locations that we can give it a lot more uh, just simply by the soul of New Orleans and what happens around it and it being so interesting. It's like, as you call it, a, a city that uh, seems like it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, a, it's, a, it's like, it, it's a city of people's imaginations. It's that's, yeah. Uh, 
That's uh, this NCIS w- wasn't as strong with symbolism. I felt, and mainly it was yeah. because the last one drew me in with like all the references to the Black Death, Hurricane Katrina, uh, the ship named Geronimo. It was like, oh, there's all kinds of material here you could you could just draw from. This one. It, it seemed to start out with that, like, oh, is this about terrorism? Is is this about you know corruption in our government and people, you know, people in the navy selling stuff to you know foreign agents, which has happened a lot. <laughs> it happened a lot during the Cold War, um, you know, in the ship. But it's usually, but it's usually be them being blackmailed. This guy is just willingly taking the knowledge he has and selling it. No, the, the people in the navy that were taking stuff were uh, the like the, the the red the the Walker family. Uh, that were the spies that were stealing all our code information and stuff and selling it uh-huh. to the Russians. Like th- those were people doing it. But I did. This was this was kind of weird. Um, this was a guy who was like, "Yeah, I'm for sale." You know, he, so he's like one of those guys <laughs> and a soulless evil person. At the end, you find out, yeah. like, yeah, um, and has skills to to disable anybody with a punch. <laughs> yeah, he was one one punch weird man. poke. Yeah. <laughs> If I press on her nerves, it's like, oh, you know exactly how her nerves are put together because it's exactly the same in every human body because we're all just a template of one another, right? Yeah, that's all. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, I but also, I felt like it felt like there's multiple characters. You had this Russian guy who seems like who seems like he's a part of the NCIS story, the normal NCIS one, mm-hmm. but we actually don't know. And then you have this lieutenant guy who seems to have like a lot of skills. That could be a potential villain later on down the line, and by the end of the episode, they're both gone. Yeah, he, they're not coming back. This is, <laughs> the bullet didn't like bounce off his skull that you didn't see. No, he, not only did he take one to the head, but he fell fifty feet in a, in a some kind of weird death mill in Louisiana. Um, oh, the only thing was like the, the, when they mentioned the ship, which is exact same ship from the last episode, just turned around, and this time they called it the Birmingham. And I was like, "Oh, the siege of Birmingham! It was like one of the one of the only real bad siege city sieges in the Civil War. It was like the people were literally starving by the time the war was over because of the siege of Birmingham. I was like, is that going to have something? To-? No, it didn't. Uh, it's just like <laughs> pick a name, ship name, cool. Um, I don't know if they can actually use named Navy ships in these shows. I'm not sure. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know, know what the rules are on. I don't know how much the Navy's bought into this show. It's so popular. Yeah, probably... I, I feel like they, it's not. Yeah, because like, because like that footage of the aircraft carrier. That's obviously like just um, redressed stock that? footage. Yeah, stock footage. Yeah. yeah, that's what it seems like. So, you know, like they just took that. The, you know, that's just like B roll from Hunt for Red October yeah. <laughs> reformatted for TV stream. Right, right. It's, it's actually a French aircraft carrier, if you know what you're looking at. But I, mean, I don't know that. But uh, cause, yeah, because as far as I know, I don't think this is, um, yeah, any given any kind of um, leniency by the actual NCIS or anything like that. Because the only thing I know of, like, actually that that stuff is with is with uh, Stargate. Like, they were actually supported by the Air Force. Well, yeah, that's why they're, they everything looks so f- cool it's like we need some extras well we got a whole platoon of people here that will be in this show unpaid because they because like because yeah because it's like oh the air force are all professionals and we're going to other worlds where like people solve problems like cool like you never make us look bad and they're not evil it's like they're actually good people or or maybe they're a little overzealous but they're not just like space nazis like yeah we're, we're, we're okay with this um Whereas this, I could see them like the NCS, like, eh, we can't, uh, 
you can't uh, we're fans of the show but you're not going to get helicopters for free yeah yeah, yeah can't yeah, can't do exactly. that much yeah because i because if like he was taken to an aircraft carrier and they showed him getting off an actual helicopter that landed on an actual aircraft carrier it's like oh okay the navy must be okay with this because they're letting <laughs> him do this for free but uh because to hire that would be tens of thousands of dollars or or free like we're doing a training exercise you guys want to hop along yeah just get some, get some roles as the guy getting off the thing. Um, I thought this would involve Russians more and like foreign, yeah. you know, the foreign paranoia we have, sometimes legitimate. Yeah, it, it felt like this was going to lead to more episodes. Yeah. Like you basically start off with an episode of The Fugitive. Um, and then like you build into in- international uh, espionage and intrigue. And then it just ends with uh, shooting a guy in the head. <laughs> yeah. It's a satisfying headshot. It's like, hey, honey, get some ice cream. Pride's going <laughs> to well, no, shoot like, someone. Hey, honey, let's go see that therapist now. I killed a guy. <laughs> yeah. I got some things to talk about. You know, it's like, does your work stress you out? Well, I shot someone in the head the other day who was holding a um, hostage, and I did it with a pistol yeah. from like 50 feet away, which there's no guarantees in this life, you know. Yeah. All right. Uh, but I, uh, yeah, I think this uh, this this show is more emphasizes on like interpersonal rea- uh, relations is important to the show, and like that's um, how it differs itself from because um, it's not necessarily all about like you know because NCIS is pretty much like this thing happens and this thing happens, and then we have our wacky characters. <laughs> yeah, um, and then the same thing with ncis los angeles where it seems like it's the same thing but just like more action oriented and this is like all about like getting to know people and like you know they let that guy see his mother at the end of the episode there there is pride dealing with that kid who's scared in the house um that was another uh, thing when he uh real quick that i thought was going to develop into something cool when they were talking about how all the languages the between the russian and the lieutenant that they spoke and it's like, what does grave mean? And we're going to cross-reference that in our language <laughs> database and find out. And it's like, oh, is, is like grave like a secret code word? Is that going to lead to further darkness? It's like now they're literally talking about a ship graveyard where they were going to run <laughs> to. It's like, oh, okay. They just – I was hoping for more. Like you said, I was hoping yeah. this is going to lead to, like, you know, overarching things, but it never happened. So. And with the mentalists, like, I think it was, it was fine, but it was just – like I said, it was a wacky episode, but – you know, but it is continuing to build this this world of uh, this. It's just it's just a bad world. <laughs> yeah, it's just just a bunch of awful people doing awful things for awful reasons. Yeah, and, people uh, taking advantages of other people in all their situations. Like, oh, is this like this girl who likes surfing and has quote unquote these rich friends, and then uh, you know she's got rich friends an alcoholic father so she's basically taking care of her of her siblings and then for some reason falls in the arms of this rich guy <laughs> um uh and then the kids are also like sleeping all, all sleeping around with each other yeah because that's kind of the, the thing they make a passe it's like yeah i slept with her and they sleep with each other we all sleep with each other and that was weird it's like, you're in high school <laughs> yeah um and, and then you know the kids kill two people, so that's also it's like oh yeah, this world's 
this world's not great. Yeah, the world of the also, mentalist is just like a darker version of our own. <laughs> well, it's also like when you in the circle that they deal with, which is crime. You know, it's, sometimes that's all you see. So you know, we're not getting a point of view of like the average people. So <laughs> not dealing with crime every day. Yeah. But yeah, and then that probably the most interesting this week was Miami Vice because there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there with like how it meets with modern day standards because you have like a cop who is accosting another cop for beating up uh, a potential like cop killer, but he knows it's wrong. And then you have like some racial relations here because like they don't know the difference between Haitians and Jamaican and. Uh, you know, I'd make that mistake too, but I just point that out in the show. It's like, oh, they're just not all the same. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a white cop that makes that mistake. And then also, like, setting up the uh, noogie because, like, that's a bad thing. And, like, he's feeling, he feels bad about it. But, like, kind of in these shows, it's like, well, he's a criminal. So, like, who cares what happens to him? Like, in most of these shows. But here, he, like he's willing to go too far and then he's like feels bad about it and then they save him at the end and then the but that's also just another personal dilemma for for more for crockett because he's the one that sets him up uh so it's a it's a two episodes in a row where like crockett has to look at himself in the mirror it's like did i do the right thing it's like no but did i recover it it's like yeah (laughs) one of the one of the things they have one of the things with miami vice that makes it kind of unique is when they conceived it and uh, um and again, this is something where I, I like know the sh- whole show, so it's not a developmental thing I'm learning along the way. It was like a lot of Miami Vice, like this was all based on stuff that really kind of it was loosely based on crimes that really happened in Miami over those over that time period. So that yeah. part of the story kind of wrote itself. So then they could do these better stories where the characters. It's not all about what happened in the police procedural. It's about it's about these people's their lives and how they they are they do react to this stuff. You know, they're not just robots that are like, I am to fight crime. And, you know, they they they, they have the, the crazy, the actual crazy crimes. Those are real. They're just taking those and transplanting them over the story with complicated characters in them, which is what, what makes it, uh, it's what, like, what makes the show stand out. I mean, you're talking about a television show that's 30 plus years old now, and it's like, this is still pretty timely. I mean... Some yeah, because like updates it, but if still... you look at the ingredients of this episode, this could have been like aged so poorly, but it still works because yeah. there's there is doubt. Yeah, like it's not just like you know they could have just like, oh well, like you know we're cops, we're the good guys, and here it's like, yeah, <laughs> we're on the side of good, and everything we do, it all washes out as justified in the end, and, and that's. Hey, that's how you, that's why you don't, that's how you don't get end up with a divorce and, and complicated relationships and all that is just <laughs> just look straight ahead and, and you know know your principles and you're going to be fine and they don't do that in the show and they never have. <laughs> but this show also had the a, a lot of advantages like a beautiful backstory, well uh th- as far as how this show looks, it was always great. And then yeah. you have just the natural insanity of Miami at that time like I said, ripped from the headlines and then you could, do, you could focus, you don't have to do a lot of world building in that part of it. So you could do these stories yeah. about these people and that's, that's what makes it good. And like I said, also this, this show gets so crazy dark. I mean, it's just, as it goes on, uh, it, it becomes like just completely like, Oh, these people would just be insane in real life. <laughs> this is, um, and you do have people that are insane in this show. A lot of them, 
Now, hmm. this is one of the first shows to like, like location, and like the cops as a show. I'm sure there's another one. Well, I'm thinking like you know you have the CSIs and you have the CSI Miami and CSI New York, and then you have NCIS Los Angeles and New Orleans. But this was Miami Vice. Yep. Um, there's even more now. Like, have you? Do you even know about like the whole Chicago series? Yeah, they now. have like the Chicago cops, the Chicago firemen, um, and Chicago hospital. It's like Chicago PD, Chicago fire, and Chicago. I didn't know they had a hospital one now, but yeah. Yeah, and so like they all have crossover episodes where it's like the cop got shot, he goes to the hospital, the hospital catches on fire. <laughs> the fireman had to save the cop who got shot. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the thing that made this show unique for the time and still makes it unique nowadays is number one, the way it looked because Michael Mann's a great at stuff like that, but also the music they used and stuff like no, you had cop shows that were set in Los Angeles and, and maybe they had the spirit of Los Angeles oh, or whatever. You know what? Hawaii five Oh preceded this. Yeah, it did, but it didn't have the modern music and sound. No, 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 look, no. that's the, what's but, it, it? but it, that, but that is like a cop show. That's like location <laughs> and cops. Yeah, that that did have that element. But I mean, every cop show is going to have like a location. It's like, ah, we're in New York, and it's, ah, we're in Chicago. You know, but, but, but this is a bit, this is a bit different. Well, the reason Miami Vice set ten thousand dollars aside in every episode just for licensing music, what made it very unique at the time is you could listen to music on Miami Vice that you were also hearing on the radio and at that time seeing on MTV because there was this channel called MTV that just played music videos. <laughs> they, they It existed that way at one time. Not anymore, but it was like that. And people, really... and people used to make things called music videos. Yeah, yeah they actually like had cars and sets and women on Jaguars with long hair and people screaming. and Yeah, it was cool. But yeah, Miami Vice was, I think, the first and still maybe one of the only shows because of what it costs to license music nowadays that actually like, Oh, everything very contemporary. We're going to keep the, it contemporary. Uh, there, there are some stuff and like, you would not know this at all, but like, so like at networks like CW, they have all their shows have usually a lot of youthful cast in them. Mm -hmm. And then they'll have like music in it. That's like featured in the episode where it doesn't seem like they want the music for the episode. It seemed like the band came to them, like, and they'll have like the band in the episode. Like, you know, they'll, they'll have like a place to hang out and the band will play there. And like that, that's how the music gets in the show. And it's like a weird thing, but it is contemporary music. It might not be music I like or listen to, but it is contemporary music. Yeah. Um, um, but it's not Sheena yeah. Easton or uh, uh, no, Blondie or or Phil Collins. You know, it's like no, it's not. No, it's not like the number one hits on your TV show. It's yeah. like a band that a contemporary band on your TV show. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not uh, the weekend. Like the weekend's not on NCIS. <laughs> cool if he actually like played a character. <laughs> and just played all this music. Dun, 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 dun. It's like, wait, that's not jazz. <laughs> I know. But now how now how Miami Vice like this episode or anything like connects to the you know this bigger picture, this effect we have is it's still guys like basically standing on a beach in Miami while the tide's coming in with buckets like that. Because the tide represents drugs. And there are the two cops there with buckets. Like we stopped a little bit you know? and that's what life was really like back then down there. And probably still is. I don't know. I, it's, 
now you hear about meth and pills and heroin, but it's like, yeah, at the, at the time, it was absolutely a reflection yeah, of this large. Yeah, the drug thing. trades have been corporatized. There's not as much violence anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're just not, not a bunch of crazies running around shooting each other in bars. Now it's all, it's all done offshore. And people that went to Harvard Law School are, <laughs> are keeping it safe. Which is kind of like, this is like no country for old men, but less dark and a little more stretched out. But it's still the same thing. It's like, yeah, human need, human greed. Miami Vice. Uh, well, that's all I have for this week. Yep. So for the Verhoeven Effect, I'm Conlon. I'm Nathan. Goodbye, America. <laughs>